And I, I was always fascinated with the idea of how, when you send a message through a medium, what does it look like on the other side? Mm -hmm. My professional learning network is incredibly important to my learning. Uh, the people that I include in my day-to-day, -day, the actual people that I try and make contact with, as well as some of the individuals that I follow digitally, like on Instagram or Pinterest or Twitter, they're essential to me finding finding my passion as, as a teacher and, and looking to see what some of the fringes of learning can be. And the truth of it is, there's no way that I could ever, ever sort of replicate or get to all the cool activities that I see my colleagues doing. But I tell you, it's pretty inspiring. And I would say that that inspiration is really only topped when I can make face-to-face -face contact with someone from my professional learning network. And I got to say, that's what the conversation tonight was like when I got to sit down with Roy and Lee. Roy and Lee is a teacher and consultant in Ontario, Canada. And he's someone that I've followed for a few months now. And he first sort of appeared to me when I saw his TEDx talk, phenomenal TEDx talk, where he spoke so incredibly lovingly and honestly about his relationship with his brother. And I encourage anyone to check that one out or in the TEDx talk, you can find that on YouTube. But one of the things that comes out in our conversation, and I hope, hope you folks can hear it too, is that the, the way that Royan presents himself in his um, social media engagements it's it's as filling as it is in person. There's a there's a an elegant honesty in sitting down with him and, and listening to him speak about his philosophies of teaching and philosophies of education, a little bit of philosophies of life, and to know that it mirrors quite nicely with the persona that he's got going on on social media. So, you know, getting to sit down with somebody that I consider to be something just a little bit more than a professional learning network member, I also consider him to be, on a personal level, um, a mentor of mine. The, um, the Chasing Scrolls podcast really, really does work and, and try to work, we, I try to work so hard to try and see how change in education looks through the eyes of people that are both inside and outside the box. And truly, Royan provided a view from both vantage points. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. And uh, I really look forward to talking to him again. All right. Hi, Royan. How are Hi. you? Hey, I got I got to say, um, I'm, I'm mind blown that you would take the time to uh, come on the podcast. <laughs> um, I want to say right off the top... Um, it's sort of, uh, there is a bit of a, a fanboy in me, just that there are individuals that are a part of that formal PLN that we all yeah. have, and there's definitely uh, bright spots in my PLN that are not, um, 
I wouldn't say it's just about the professional learning. Actually, I couldn't say it's about the professional mm -hmm. learning. It's about something on the other end of that digital signal that I feel like there's something more. Like I feel, I think you said earlier something just about that connection or where we have some, some sort of like philosophically similar, mm -hmm. like there's some ties that bind there. And I really had the sense in sort of following you in Twitter, on Twitter and reading some of your blog posts that the digital version is very close to the real version. Uh -huh. And I can completely, I really, I appreciate that. I fully appreciate that because I think that trying to sort of make that authentic connection with your digital yeah. footprint is challenging. <laughs> well, I'm sure my wife would disagree with you in terms of it's, it's, uh, it's being in alignment. But, but yeah, thanks. I really appreciate that. I try, I try my best to make that happen, even though um, as time goes on, it's increasingly more challenging to mm -hmm. do so, I find. Yeah. But um, uh, yeah, I, I, it's great to hear that um, you, um, you interpreted it that way because um, you know, we, I do my best to try and convey that. Yeah, you, um, it seems effortless. I know it's not because I'm in that same, I'm in that same frame, you uh -huh. know, that sort of what could have been an easy post at some point or what could have been an easy sort of just a tweet. Yeah. It becomes now there's value there. Well, you know, I, often, I actually often think about that, the idea of um, how much effort you put into it and whether or not, um, like when I do it, whether it's effortless or not, because I meet a lot of people who um, <clears throat> have a certain level of uh, uh, like anxiety over, over mm -hmm. that process, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, and, I, and, I, and I think that, you know, obviously there's personality and, and, and everyone's different, mm -hmm. you know, so that comes into play. But I also think that when you come into a, a social media space matters as well. So, um, uh, for example, with something like Twitter, I think that if you enter at a, uh, in, in this day and age, right, currently, it's, it's a different time mm -hmm. because um, you're, you're entering a, a room that is already uh, a big ballroom and a big party, mm -hmm. whereas in the past it was a bit more like somebody's basement. Mm -hmm. And so, um, obviously, you know, if you use that analogy, if you're just entering a room full of friends, it's a little bit different than when you're in entering a room full of, like, your mom, your dad, your grandparents, your uh, employer, your um, colleagues, and everybody else. Mm -hmm. So you almost have to think in a different way. But at the same time, I think part of the reason why... I'm glad you, you, you discovered that it does come across effortless, but I think one of the, in, in, uh, in reflecting on my life, I think one of the reasons for that is because I've, I've always been fascinated with media mm -hmm. from, from since I can remember thinking. And I, I was always fascinated with the idea of how when you send a message through a medium, what does it look like on the other side? Mm -hmm. And I think I, I, what, what I've noticed is that that, that ability to tr transpose yourself or go on the other side of the, the reflection line mm -hmm. um, is, is not necess doesn't necessarily come um, naturally to everyone. Mm -hmm. But I, in my life reflecting on it, I remember constantly practicing this, even from a very young age. So I was always fascinated with technology or media, um, even though I wasn't really that immersed in it. Like I had to find this stuff. Yeah, I wasn't. I didn't really grow up in a family where we had um, 
where we had like uh, early adopters. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. You know, like we, I just had the basic stuff. But I, I, every time there was something that had the ability to create anything, whether it was a Walkman that had a record button or, um, <laughs> or even, you know, like a piece of paper that you could photocopy, whatever yep. it was. I was always fascinated with the idea of how do you get that message out mm-hmm. and then what does it look like on the other side? So, so when social media came along, it's not surprising that I, I really took to it. Yeah. You, um, that, it may have been something, so I'll go back, actually I'll go in a different direction altogether. Um, in working with my colleague right now, we talk a lot about the, as you said, sort of the intentionality of being responsible for the viewer. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, I said, it's very important to me. She was looking at the number of uh, my follow versus followers. Mm-hmm. And she's been on Twitter a lot shorter than me. And she has almost as many, her, her numbers are, her numbers are, how does it work out? She has, I asked her about the number of people she's following. Yeah. And I said, what are the relationships like that you have with those people? Uh-huh. And it was a, a bit of a, I think a bit of a groundbreaking moment to sort of consider it that way. But I really do watch that. Like I don't, I, I sort of, I feel like I'm nurturing my PLN by making sure that the things that I have in there are intentional. Yeah. And it's not intentional to a cold end. It's intentional as in like this, can I reach across yes. and have a conversation with Royan? Can I make it into his space? Can I meet him? Can I pass him somehow and sort of have that, kind of like that, that gracious head nod, like it's good to see you again. And I, I think to myself, that is something that's so important about the use of social media. And I find it's kind of a new headspace for me. Because I think there was a time where, like you said, it was a party that I wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. I just, I wanted to be there. You mentioned at some point, it was either in a post, <laughs> it was some place we were talking about um, dualism. And that idea that you're creating real things kind of in the digital and the actual world. Yeah. Um, if, you're to, if you're to sort of give, if you're sort of kind of selling it to an educator that that's possible, because I think there's some real anxiety about dipping your toe into, like even using Twitter, yeah. using Instagram, using uh, some people using Snapchat, like using these social media tools how would you, and it's not promote, but how would you speak positively of that of someone that maybe, I don't know, really, Twitter? What am I going to learn from Twitter? Well, that my approach to that has evolved over time as well because I, currently as we stand now, I'm, I, I have never been as, um, uh, I've never experienced as much cognitive dissonance around mm. that topic as, as I do right now. Mm. And it's partly because, uh, like I just like as as I mentioned before, because the the social media spaces are inhabited by so many different people, it's true, and so many different stakeholders. It's I, I I appreciate and I empathize with anybody who would have um, anxiety over entering mm-hmm. and 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 um, participating actively. Um, that goes beyond just, um, you know, as you mentioned, lurking, mm-hmm. which many people do, many educators do. 
because I understand that it is complex mm-hmm. and it is it is contextual and it depends on the person. It depends on not only their professional lives and what nuances exist there, mm-hmm. but also their personal lives. Of, tr- of course, yeah. yeah. And that was one of the uh, biggest um, ahas for me because I do think I was at a phase where I, I would consider myself somewhat of an evangelist uh, in terms of social media um, uh, networking mm-hmm. for, for educators. But now what I try and do is I try my best to not evangelize it as much as um, as, um, as be there to support anyone who would like to do it. Yeah. Because I find that, um, especially um, where I am, as a person who has a relatively large following mm-hmm. and um, uh, it has a certain amount of um, notoriety, mm-hmm. as small as it may be, I, I want to be careful about the extent to which I apply my own um, my own sense of reality onto others, mm-hmm. because because um, for me to say something like, well, um, it's easy to make connections, or or um, you know, there's so many rewards that come out of this. I'm coming from a place a little bit of privilege. Mm, yeah, absolutely. You know, and so I want to be careful of doing that because I do recognize that it's harder than ever to. Um, get to a place of connection that, uh, that I am so privileged to, to mm-hmm. have. And I know that happened because, um, because I, I was willing to put myself out there. Um, but, but at the same time, I know that it, I don't know if I came in in 2016 or 2017 and started. I, I just can't say if, if that would have occurred. And I, I don't know what my experience would have been, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so, yeah. Uh, that's that's a complex way of me just saying that I I myself struggle with it too. Mm-hmm. So I don't. So I try my best not to um, uh, get people to jump on um, yeah. the bus. You know, I just. Uh, but I'm always. I always take the stance that well, I, I would be here to invite you in if you if you wished. You know, so yeah, I I think it's 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 a struggle, and um, I think Twitter in particular is going through some hard times in general, not just in the education sphere. Yes. Right? And um, in terms of, you know, the things we're learning much more about with echo chambers yep. and and, um, and abuse too, you yep. know, um, especially, uh, you know, since I started learning a lot more about prominent female voices in particular and how they can tend to get disproportionate amount of abuse on Twitter that I have barely experienced and I've and I wonder sometimes if that's partly because of my privilege as a guy, you know, just a lot of things I've been questioning lately. Mm-hmm. And, but at the same time, appreciating the community that I have there. So, so I, I think that's one of the, um, I think it's one of the aspects of living in modern times and being a critical thinker and being somebody who is socially conscious and self-aware. It, it, it invariably means that you have to deal with constant gray. So, yeah, that's where I'm at with that. I, I, you make me, you make me think about my, let's say, you know, with air quotes, following Mm -hmm. as an extension of my classroom. Mm -hmm. And you, and you've, you've made me sort of think on what responsibility would I feel that I feel I have Mm-hmm. for the students in my class. Totally. And I think <laughs> where you just went with that was a bit of a, like, that's kind of my thing with 
using social media as, as a learning tool. I mean, if we're yeah. consuming and watching some funny YouTube video, okay, it's, it's sort of like a one-way path, some laughs. But where I think that I want to have more, I want to have more of a connection, I want reciprocity, I want something to grow, I want to have some critical conversation, I think that's what it is. It's that, you know, they, they bring it to us, that fiduciary kind of like responsibility yeah. for care and concern and responsibility and connectedness. I think that's the thing. And I think that is probably also maybe part of someone's anxiety about stepping into that, that I don't know if I could bear that responsibility Mm -hmm. to sort of. Yeah. And we have to remember too, that with something like all social media um, platforms are this way, but if we're talking about Twitter, uh, the algorithm of Twitter has evolved over time to favor amplification mm-hmm. over interaction. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously this is not, uh, you know, a, a given fact. It's, 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 it's partly my opinion, but I think the evidence would suggest that when, when you see the little alterations that have happened over time, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's partly, I mean, let's face it, that's partly because uh, you have to find a way to monetize these, these platforms. And Twitter yes. is renowned for struggling with that, right? And whereas Instagram, Facebook are are experts at that. Yep. Um, And so I think we're constantly in this like beta formation with Twitter, Hmm. which is kind of cool in a way, right? It's kind of cool too that it's so widely used and and apparently is not making any money. There's something very appealing about that, right? Yeah. Uh, But at the same time, um, you do have to wonder sometimes about where the tool is headed because of the fact that um, RTs, Imagery links are being highlighted much more than um, than interaction. So, so my guess is it will either evolve continuously, or you know, just as we as we do with MySpace, as we did with uh, other tools, we'll probably say in a few years. Well, remember when we were on Twitter, and now yeah. we're on this. So it's going to be interesting to see how how the community evolves too. Yeah. In that way, will it splinter off? again or will it um, continue to grow I was wondering from pressure within too like how much real how much real sort of like clutch do mm. does the user base have on the ability to affect change from within Twitter like what are the pressure points that get it to sort of zig instead of zag Yeah, and I, I think about that as well and the sort of strange metadata that comes out of like looking at impressions like because you know the stuff yeah. that what does that really tell you? Yeah, I've had I've actually had to look that up a few times just to wrap my head around it. And the neat infographics about overlapping impressions and the number of uh-huh. times that someone has kind of experienced your tweet. A bot could probably do that too. Yeah. You know? And a really good, to me, the, one of the perfect examples of how it evolved is how it, it started to favor likes mm-hmm. over um, uh, replies. Yeah. So um, there's really nothing in the gamification of Twitter that really uh, uh, le- leads you to believe that receiving apply- replies is, is great. Mm-hmm. And yet there's, there's tons of metrics and visualizations that suggest that RTs and likes um, are, are what's, what, what help you gain steam. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so um, I, I definitely found that... Uh, so, so that's what, that's the kind of... Um, uneasy relationship I currently have with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
And but like I really connect to what you said too, though about responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing that that has never really changed, is that um, I, I'm constantly um, having to remind myself of the responsibility you have to be just like you do whenever you're a member of any community. Mm-hmm. If you're a member of your church community or you're a member of your basketball community um, with the pickup games that you play once a week, you know, you have a responsibility as part of that community to, to give, to be aware of your own, um, how people feel in relation to you um, and, uh, you know, your, your, your responsibility to be kind to people and also to be aware that um, what you say or share is is being said from a certain perspective. Mm-hmm. So as a result, you have a responsibility in, in critically thinking about what you're going to put out there. And But then, of course, you, you want to balance that with something that I've always believed with social media is that you, you must have fun. I know. Eh? You must have fun because if you're only in there to do work, you're A, going to be miserable because you're going to spend the whole time overanalyzing things. Yeah. And then, of course, you're going to come across that way, so people will be less likely to want to interact with you <laughs> without the person without yeah. the person sitting across from you, right? Like, it's not yeah. it's not group work at a table, no, where you're measuring the moments and the rapport. It's a well, it could be an email, it could be a tweet, it could be an Insta, it could be just that thing that just has a message that someone's like, ah, that's not too interesting or fun, and uh-huh. you, then you lose momentum, you lose that connectivity. Plus, there is no direct cause and effect. Yeah. Me sitting across from right now, if I ask you a question, because we're socially connected, there's a high, high likelihood that you're going to make eye contact and respond. Yes. I've that's had, right. My mother has done this exact mistake <laughs> with Facebook and said, and she's, I've talked about it a couple of times on this podcast, why didn't so-and-so reply to my Facebook thing that I wrote? <laughs> and I said to her, I said, did you ask a question? No. I just said, nice picture of the kids. And I'm like, well what response is expected at that point? <laughs> Did you make a direct appeal? Did you say, please get back in touch with me? I can remember way back in the day, not M- it was, was it MSN chat? Yeah. MSN, there was yeah. a really hot the one messenger. for a while. Yeah, um, yeah Messenger. Mm-hmm. And I can remember when that first popped into the classrooms, I said to the kids, I said, do a social experiment next Friday. Go into one of these chat rooms and say, I have a problem. I would really like to talk to somebody about it and see how fast you clear the room. Yeah. And they laugh at me. And then one of them came back and said, I tried it. And everyone kind of, like the conversation, people were like, you know, uh, people in the room, whatever what the picture was, it was like five, four, three. And, you know, they're just evacuating the room, uh-huh. going to some other space. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, there's a fascinating thing there about the, the, I think back to where we start on this was talking about that digital and actual and the dualism that you are, I'm becoming more and more comfortable with the risk associated with using social media because I'm comfortable with making one-to-one connections in real life. And I hold those two things together. Right. And I think if I'm working to be better one-to-one, then I take that and I try and apply it there. Yeah, absolutely. Can I shift things a bit? Yeah, sure. I actually, I want to talk a little bit about your TEDx Mm -hmm. talk. Sure. And I... It's, I tweeted you after that. I think that might have been my first tweet. My, not, not in general, but to you. It was oh, my really? first encounter. Yeah. A direct um, tweet, tweet. A direct tweet. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. in it, I said something to the fact, I wish I had the exact words, but it had something about how you broke me and rebuilt me. Oh, wow. That's a... 
that's almost overwhelming for me to hear, to be honest. And, yeah. and, and well, it was so true. I, I, I watched you present. I experienced your story. I was, I was regretful to a point because it was an event that I wanted to go to. Uh-huh. I was fortunate I was on a, a school trip. I tried to stream it from where I was. It just it was not working. And it's like, <laughs> hey, we got to get the kids on the bus. I'm like, hey, come on. Okay, let's go. Um, I think you and Will were you yeah. presenting. So uh-huh. I knew... I knew that there was something there that I had to experience. I couldn't, I couldn't make it. Yeah. So I watched it afterwards. I watched it a, a few times. And there was something, it was either in your blog post about that uh-huh. or in the words in your presentation where you said, why do we stop holding each other when we get big? And that just like put me right back there again. Yeah. Like just that sort of concept of family. There was something about it. family. It spoke to me as a teacher. It spoke to me as a father. And... I wondered, I would love to hear more about your process getting there, but I think I'm curious about what happened after that. Uh-huh. So after your TED talk, yeah. did anything happen? Was there any, any sort of, anything you noticed after that? Were there any conversations that came to you? Because it was, it was profound from a viewer point of view. Yeah. It would have been exponentially more profound to be in the room. And I wondered what those few moments after you finished your speech yeah, the next I, couple of days. Um, I think it, it was like a slow brew. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't like a sudden barrage mm-hmm. of responses. It was more like um, really gradual over time and very, very slow. And, 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 and um, just one person here and there, you know, it would be something like um, I'd be making myself a French press coffee at lunchtime at work. And then a colleague that I don't talk to very often, that, that we don't work with very often, I only see like two ships passing in the night. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd run into that person and they would just suddenly just tell you that they watched my TED Talk and were very inspired by it. And, and um, it, it was it just constant little experiences like that. And, and um, it's, it's been at times very overwhelming, like just listening to you speak about it. Um, it got me quite emotional, to be honest. Yeah, mm-hmm. because it's interesting because at the time, obviously, um, you know, doing that and preparing for it took some work. Mm-hmm. But um, looking back, it, it might be partly because um, uh, <laughs> I, I'm very good at um, uh, uh, unremembering things. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't really remember it as any big deal mm-hmm. to me um, because I was partly taking my my daughter's advice, and she, you know. When she, when when people were asking her, you know, what's it like to prepare for something like that, she was just like, well, why, why do you guys keep asking me if I'm worried and anxious about it? I'm just telling my story, mm-hmm. and um, that's basically all I, the only approach that I took. I was like, I didn't have any grand plan. I was just, you know, I think this is a story I'm ready to tell, mm-hmm. and um, and that I think a lot of people will relate to. Mm-hmm. That's basically. Um, most of the time, like when I'm blogging, it's mostly, um, that's basically my thought process. Mm-hmm. It's nothing very, uh, that goes beyond that intellectually. I mostly try my best to come from a really um, um, intrinsic and um, uh, uh, more um, uh, feeling base than, uh, than, a, than a cerebral base. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because, because the internet is really full of intellect mm-hmm. and rational thought and breaking down of arguments and debating um, 
And that's just the teachers that yeah. are blogging. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't have the time to do the research mm-hmm. or to do the intellectual rigor that's necessary to contribute to that. Yeah. I, I can only tell my story. Yeah. Um, I'm not writing a book. I'm writing a blog post. And in the TED Talk, I wasn't writing a book. I was just um, telling my story. So that, that's pretty much it. And I'm glad that some people connect to it, you know, and and I also take the approach with most things in social media when I put things out there and like my TED talk that I genuinely just want to connect with one person. So the yeah. fact that you had a connection to it, Chris, to me, that's enough. To me, that is like, you know, I, I won lotto with that TED talk. That's enough for me. Even if nobody watched it or, or several people hated it, um, the fact that one person had some kind of an emotional connection, it, did it help that one person um, work through some, uh, some stuff they were dealing with? Mm-hmm. Or um, did it help them you know, be kinder to another person or kinder to themselves? You know, things like that. I'm just looking for very simple, simple goals. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I think that's probably the elegance of it. You know, that's, that's the real elegance of that. If you, you take any, any lesson that you try to convey, whether it's your own children, whether it's across the table like this, you sort of try and take a lesson either wrapped in experience mm-hmm. and delivered in story mode. Like. And apart from the fact that from a selfish perspective, it was extremely therapeutic for me. Because it wasn't until, and that's partly why I got quite emotional delivering it. Mm -hmm. Um, In my practicing of that talk, I did not get emotional at all. So I wasn't anticipating myself to to become emotional Mm -hmm. at all. So that's partly why I got emotional. Because I didn't anticipate it. And it just kind of came on like a a tidal wave. Yeah. um, When I was giving the talk. And um, and it really helped me work out uh, just understanding who I am, yep. why I am the way I am, and how much, you know, my experience with my family and my brother uh, made me who I am. Yes. You know? So, yeah, it was incredibly therapeutic, too. Yeah. Do you remember the moment? Do you remember the moment that it, it turned? Like, that you... I would almost say you, yeah. you, you appeared in yourself. You sort of yeah. went from, this is performance... Yes. To that's what happened. This is me. Could I? Could I even say this is confessional? Like it's almost yeah, like it's a. Kind there's, of there's, there's, it's a. It's a big. Yeah, it's interesting how what, you're fr- framing that because that is now that I think about it, that is kind of how it felt. It was like I was in a. I was on stage with some people looking at me, mm-hmm. and I know people were videoing me, but there was like, like maybe two thirds of the way through, where suddenly it felt like no one else was in the room. And um, I was just in a, in a room talking to myself. That's what it felt like. That's exactly, it's funny you mentioned that because that's pretty much exactly how it felt. Yeah, and then after that, when I walked off stage, I still felt like I was in my own headspace. I wonder. There were people around, but it felt more like... Um, what are you doing in my head? <laughs> yeah, it felt, it felt like a dream mm-hmm. where, you know, in a dream, people just walk around and they're kind of faceless. Yeah, it's true. And even if they... I don't really remember much in terms of my interactions after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's funny you mentioned that. Well, I think that's what... Felt. And part of it, you know, we have a, a bit of a similar background in some of the, the theater arts. Mm-hmm. And I know that sometimes... That's a space that you would go to as a performer. Like you uh-huh. sort of are, you immerse. Intentionally. Yeah, you, inten- you intentionally. Yeah. I know I've had those moments on stage where 
it's accidental. You get too close oh. to it. And something does, it's just a little, doop, like something just changes and you realize I'm no longer in control of my craft. Yeah. Or in this case, I am no longer driving the story. Uh-huh. It's driving me. And I think that's why I wanted, I'm asking the question, you, I have both of them, why did you do it? I think I understand that, you uh-huh. shared, but more fascinating about the what happened afterwards. Yeah. Because that is the whole, the, the process of unbecoming the center of the story and who might approach you and say, you said my words, you said my story. Yeah. Other people are like, wow, you're so brave, like that. But I totally get it, walking off the stage almost like through white noise mm-hmm. and not really queuing back in, getting in the car, or maybe yeah, going, sort of the, going like. back to the green room mm-hmm. through water, kind of. Do you have time for one more? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's awesome. It's awesome. I, I've, I, I, I want. I want that... I think story sometime, like I want to be, like I have, to, I'm going to have to take some time away from your story. I'd like to go back to it again at some point um, because I think that thing that you're talking about being in the moment, that's what caught me, yeah. totally what caught me. Like you, I was right there with you in that moment. And you know, lately I've been um, doing a little reading and looking into Brene Brown's yep. um, concepts on vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And at the time I, I, I wasn't as uh, fluent in her ideas yet, um, but uh, that's kind of unconsciously what I was, uh, I was trying to convey to. Well, maybe consciously. And th- the thing I've noticed, if you ask me, you know, what happened after that, I, I really feel like some people, when they have approached me to talk to me about it or just to let me know that they enjoyed it or had a connection to it, I find it's, it's less about the story, the specifics of the story itself and about me, but that uh, I do sense that people um, feel inspired to be vulnerable themselves. Mm, mm-hmm. And that's what I hope. And it's not that I want them to say, well, I am vulnerable now because of Royan. Mm-hmm. I just hope like in that karmic sense. Yes. That in, in, and kind of like Renee Brown talks about where, you know, if you want to help other people, just help yourself because you will create a sort of like a energy yep. in the world, mm-hmm. not just in your space, but actually in the world. Yeah. You know, and I, I that's a little bit of a <laughs> mystical hippie. Well, talk, no, but but you yeah. could go. We could take it from mystical hippie, and I would yeah. add to it and make it actual and say, and do it in as public a format as possible, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because that's that's the key. I think that is the key. So that's you right. you get your own deal together. You're not intentionally trying to connect with anyone. You're just not not intentionally protecting it. You're willing to yeah, process it. That's totally what it is, right? It's yeah. that you're willing to just let it go and exist in a public space. If someone latches on, it's because they wanted to, not because you were gathering them. Uh-huh. So allow them to uh-huh. be. Um, that's fascinating. I completely I agree with you. The, the last thing that I, I want to kind of throw down is, and it, and it kind of flows out of the, the TEDx, but it also flows, I think, a little bit um, reading about your experience as a first-year teacher uh-huh. and going into a special education classroom. And you, <clears throat> at some point talked about the how fantastic I'm going to paraphrase how fantastic classrooms could be if we start to have different conversations around neurodiversity yeah and um, I can remember having one conversation with a colleague last year and I said well what if what if we looked at ADHD as a learning style or you know it's your method what what if it were what 
else would we have to understand about it so that we could make a classroom space where someone who is really far down ADHD um, uh, uh, path, uh, you have somebody working in the class that maybe has a developmental disability, and then someone in the class that uh, just cannot see a number on blue paper, right? So it's all that sort of like differentiated, and you say the neurodiversity, but I'm, I'm fascinated like what you came to special education with in that first, second, third year. What, yeah. do you, what are your thoughts now? Like sort of thinking back about that, the first few oh, yeah. years, well, sort I, of observations. I, I, those of, were such formative times for me. Um, they were also combined with uh, uh, also just figuring out what it means to be an adult, mm -hmm. you know, at the time. Because um, we had come back from Canada, uh, from New Zealand to Canada, and, you know, with our first child. And it, it was the first time in our life where we were like faced in a big way with dealing with huge adult uh, concerns. Yeah. And, and some of them were just basic ones like paying the rent and eating, and, but also um, dealing with what it meant to uh, help out family in need and also to have to look for work mm -hmm. and, uh, and things like that. So it was, it was like, it was a, a big quiet storm of uh, many different factors and then I enter like a lot of teachers do nowadays especially in Ontario they enter some of the most challenging uh, <laughs> classrooms because mm -hmm. because they're often the ones that other teachers are avoiding and so as a result are vacant <laughs> in yeah. terms of jobs um, so I remember going into that with like high hopes because I've always been quite a unreasonably um, Overestimator of my abilities <laughs> and uh, like ability to deal with 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 um, with difficult times. So I entered, you know, with really really high hopes, and that that's and and confidence too. Like I I really had a certain level of almost slight arrogance in terms of thinking, you know, no one else can teach those kids, but I can teach those kids. Mm -hmm. And um, it all kind of came crashing down for me because um, I just wasn't quite experienced enough to really support those students um, to the best of someone's ability. Um, my experience was lacking, my capacity, my knowledge base was lacking, my awareness. I was, uh, but, but that's also part of the reason why you look back on something fondly because you were engaged in something where you weren't, you were by no means an expert. Mm -hmm. So you remember some interesting stories. Yeah, exactly. That, right? But um, it's more on reflection that, you know, that it really hits me um, because, you know, I, I often say I, I wish I could go back and teach those students again mm -hmm. because I would do it quite differently. Um, I approached that year with a real a strong wealth of pedagogical theory yep. because in New Zealand I was very fortunate to be part of what I can't imagine anyone having a better teacher education than me. Mm. Yeah, I, I did four years of theory and practice um, in, in New Zealand in, in probably one of the most progressive teacher educations you could possibly get that included a lot of work around critical consciousness and equity and um, uh, what it, and social justice. Wow. So, um, so I distinctly remember entering that teaching position saying, I know these are the most marginalized children mm -hmm. from the most marginalized communities mm -hmm. in our, in our uh, system, and um, I want to now try and put into practice what I learned. And uh, 
the thing that I was missing though, I had the right mindset and everything. The thing that I was missing was some science. Mm. I had I had kind of was good with the art of it. How long ago was that? That was that would have been over a decade ago, right? Like were we were, were we there ago. and sort of putting the science into teaching yet? I don't, well, I, I don't I don't know. Yeah, I don't but know. In terms we, of like what what does it mean when somebody has a, um, a social and emotional disorder and, and all these things? Like I didn't really um, I didn't really have that toolkit. Mm-hmm. And you know, like we often don't, right? We don't we often don't have the perfect toolkit for everything. We as teachers, we we do our best. But that was the one missing piece because oftentimes I would apply my own biases onto the students in terms of how I, like, what I considered success. Mm -hmm. And that's where the neurodiversity comes in is that back then, I don't think I did have a a real, as strong a notion of neurodiversity as I do now because Mm -hmm. I was still thinking to myself, like, hmm, I, I think subconsciously I was thinking, working with some of the most challenging students, I hope to make them whatever normal is. Yeah. Help them get there. Rather than, rather than deconstructing what success meant in their context. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And so I was applying a, another template onto them um, rather than just working responsibly with um, who was in front of me. So that, 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 that reflection that has really helped me because... That, you know, the, to me, the neurodiversity is very simple. It's just about, like, recalibrating what you consider normal. Yeah. Because, strangely, even in 2017, we still seem to have a very homogenous, standardized, and um, rigid idea of what constitutes normal in our society. In mm-hmm. spite of all the diversity, in spite of all the things we know. And I think, you know, it definitely extends beyond the school system. Mm-hmm. It's a cultural thing, right? I believe we, so. You know, as parents right now, um, I don't know if we've lived in a time where parents are as anxious about making sure their, their, their kids are um, uh, in relation to a certain standardized benchmark mm-hmm. or successful. So, I mean, it, it's, I think it's a, continue, it's a challenge for us as a, as a culture in general. Someone said to me, and it actually, it kind of broke my brain talking about equity, even let's say, let's say according to North American standards, by looking at it as sort of like, I felt like the language was almost caste system in its nature Uh and talking about how in, you say that, you know, parents are still anxious about opportunity for their children. And I would lay up against that yet in an age where opportunity is so diverse. Yeah. It's part of the, the, the language of the caste system is such that the, the, the individuals that held the highest rank or higher rank than somebody else no longer have that foothold. Oh. So what we're seeing is different areas of society with anxiety mm. about success not the ones that, let's say, historically would say... Like when I said the science may not have been there before, what I think the science was back in the day was science that was geared towards seeing the limitation, mm, not the science that we have now that I think opens up opportunity. It's asset-based. If we go yeah. there, we can do this, yeah. as opposed to don't do that because it will lead to... Uh-huh. And, that's, and I've been in this... I've been in teaching you know, just over 10 years... Um, part of my start was within some behavioral programs and doing spec ed and guidance and then into alt ed. But I've seen that change. I've yeah, seen, I've seen this great. slowly move. I have. Yeah. Um, I, don't think, I don't think I could ever say it's moving. We need it to move faster. 
in some ways I'm glad that it's moving. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that this type of a conversation you could have in more places today than let's say even five years ago. Yeah. And I think the conversation is getting some momentum, but like I think how, how you mentioned too, there's some science there that we still need to kind of, it has to be yeah. marketed. And it's evolving over time yes. too, as we speak. I'm sure yeah. in 10, 20 years, the more we learn about the brain in particular, mm-hmm. you know, we'll, we'll look back and say, wow. Okay, one last little bit. Uh-huh. I know I said that before. No problem. You've, you've almost touched on it. Um, the, the teacher you, mm-hmm. five, seven years ago, what would they be wowed at or kind of blown away by the present day you? Just like, I can't even believe you're doing that, man. I can't. I can't <laughs> that's so cool. Like, oh, let me think. Because no matter how, you, you, I will say, I share your, your exuberant confidence at the new and giving it a shot and I can do it but I tell you five years ago me didn't see this moment coming Uh I wouldn't have been able like five years ago me would have been like that's pretty cool look at the tech you got look at you're like doing a conversation about education and you're gonna like you know what I mean you're on iTunes like (laughs) well you know what for me it's probably different because like like five years ago me is probably the um, the most like I think five years ago me looking at me now would think that I'm probably a, a lot more boring <laughs> really eh? oh yeah oh yeah totally because um, you know that's probably when um, my interactions in, in in the PLN were the most intense to be honest that's when um, you know I was part of some cool things where we kind of felt like, wow, this PLN thing might lead to changing the world. Right. I, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying that I don't feel that now, but um, partly because of, you know, having a job in a system level position. Yep. You know, you, you see things from different angles now. And mm-hmm. I think I had a, a certain um, really healthy level of naivete five years ago mm-hmm. that, um, that was awesome too. So I think if they if that person was impressed with me now, they'd probably be impressed with. Um, I'm probably a lot better at um, thinking things through, mm-hmm. and in the complexity of it. So, in my earlier days of teaching, I was very very much the type of person that said, "That sounds like a cool idea. We're doing it right away. <laughs> right, right away. No 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 um, no thinking things through. No um, let's." And, and 99 out of 100 times, it always resulted in awesomeness because, um, because uh, people like learning in, in environments that have a safe environment combined with risk-taking, mm-hmm. right? It's exciting. It's, that's, that's, that's when learning is most exciting. Um, yeah. So I think now, I think I, I feel wiser. Mm-hmm. I feel much more wiser and, and are just able to think things through and not overly romanticize anything and mm-hmm. also not overly demonize anything. I just feel like I have a healthier, um, uh, a little bit of a more even keel approach to things, which I'm sure the five, six years ago me would be impressed by. Um, yeah. But also they might not be impressed by it because they might think I became a little bit more boring and crusty and old. But It's interesting. Yeah. But it sounds like maturing. It sounds like what we do in our job. Yeah. Right? And it sounds like there's, I know, I know from 
from trying to sort of drive change home in the classroom that, you know, the sparkle and the moving things that you're pawing at and you just get fascinated with it, there is like, there is the reflection that needs to come out the other side. There's the, you know, I might not do it better next time, but I think that I need to sleep a bit in order to put all those sort of pieces back into place so I can replicate it again. And when I find if I'm just always in the trenches, developing, 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 developing. And that was a lot of what was a part of my previous job was that writing the the manuals for the restaurant and then helping out on the Uh line. And then Uh it was awesome. It was adrenaline inducing. But you also had the safety of there's a there's a there's a there's a double edge to it. Developing new stuff is awesome, but then sometimes it reduces the accountability of actually delivering on anything. Uh So I felt like at some point I was doing too much. It was a lot of work, <clears throat> but someone might say not the right work. I feel oh, like, I totally relate. Yeah, I feel like yeah. I'm getting closer. I don't know if I'll ever land there, but I feel like I'm getting closer to the right work. Yes. Like somehow I'm in the right province now or something or some right city. I don't know. And like I, I've, I've really learned that it's not so much about getting to a particular destination. It's just look appreciating everything as a full because everything builds upon is is interconnected to everything else, right? Mm-hmm. So, so for instance, I'm not so much um, impressed with myself where I currently am, as I just described. I just have a, an awareness that my experience is five years ago, ten years ago. Yes. Inform who I am. I know. Yeah. Right? And 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 helped build me into who I am. And I really hope that in five years and ten years, that I will look back and say the same thing. Um, because the the thing that I've noticed and I really admire the most in individuals in any any realm, regardless of whether it's an industry or just in a personal life, mm-hmm. is I I really admire people who have longevity, yeah, and diversity in in what they did. You know, like just to, as a simple example, um, like if I have a, a a band or a musical artist that I, I follow and, and I love. I love those watching those people who didn't. I'm not so impressed with the Kirk Cobains of the world, even though I admire him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm a lot more impressed with people that you look back on their whole body of work and say, "Look at the different spheres that they tried to um, interact with yes. and influence." Yeah, that that um, you know that that show a certain kind of evolution, like like a Beck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being able to sort of like. It's not, it's not chameleon because it's not chameleon because sometimes chameleon you don't you can't make yeah. the path connection but it's like you are comfortably existing in such a multifaceted way yeah it's slightly schizophrenic in a good way totally, it, it, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a strange thing so to keep with the musical analogy I, I kind of look at my career what I hope when I when I when all is said and done is I just hope that I did a bit of Performing, yep. a bit of songwriting, a bit of producing. Yeah. Um, who knows? Maybe even a bit of selling. Yep. Uh, a bit of like writing. Uh, you know, <laughs> and reviewing. I just find that really cool. Mm-hmm. You know, to to look at um, one's body of work that way. Yeah. To have different vistas, different perspectives, and actually have to work different muscles. Yeah. Of that of that field. You know, and not just like, j- just one thing. And it sounds to me like, you know, that's something... That I get it. I totally that, get it. You, I like to look at my life story as having certain kind of areas to it. 
mm-hmm. with multiple chapters in it. And depending on which chapter, choose your own adventure. Mm-hmm. So depending on what chapter you jump in, in that sort of volume, yes, it's it's a just a multimodal story. Yeah. So if you come at my teaching from the fact that I was a chef, totally. it's like this. If you come at my <clears throat> my artistry that I like to do from the point of view that I like mm-hmm. snowboarding, like if you sort of start different access points, yeah, and they exist in these weird spheres. I don't know. Again, you're right. It gets kind of karmic and overlapping. Yeah. Um, where, if if it, when people want to connect with you and they want to find out more about you, or they want to reach out to you. Where would you like to be reached out? Where would you like to be? Where uh, they find you? You mean if they'd like to connect with me? Yeah, I think it's pretty simple. They could just connect with me at royanlee.com. Okay. And um, uh, most of my social media has my first and last name, Royan Lee. So okay. at Royan Lee in it, whether it's Twitter or, or whatever it may be. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm always eager to connect with people. Because as I said before, the strange thing now is that the bigger the following has become, the less I connect with people. Yeah. So it's actually something that I crave. And, um, and actually one of the criteria that I have for following someone is if, is if they've just connected with me. <laughs> yeah. You know? Because otherwise it's kind of, you can't really know other, another way, right? So sometimes people will meet me and they'll say things like, well, I followed you for a long time. I've read everything and, and you know, I find your work really interesting. And then I'm like, why didn't you ever message me? Yeah. <laughs> why yeah. didn't you ever just once, like, just say hi even? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, so I, I, I... I wish I, people did that more. I get it. I've started to mess around with... I don't even know what I'm talking about, what I'm about to say, but coding and uh-huh. doing stuff on my, my teacher blog and trying to play with... I, and I might not be saying this right, HTML or CSS. Don't know the difference, but I know, <laughs> that I, can, I know that I can wrap text around a video. Yeah. That's not my example, but what, where I hear you is... I get errors that say basically thing that that won't work because you haven't closed the div. And I don't oh, even know yeah. what that means, but the effect that I see is I haven't closed the loop. Uh-huh. I haven't uh-huh. closed the loop. So I'll have some sort of programming expression at the top of the page and I don't have the appropriate now you're done code. Uh-huh. But I think that's a great metaphor for what we're talking about here. Yeah, you, totally. you have to close the loop. Otherwise, nothing in between is going to happen. Mm. I'm not going to get wrapped text. I'm not going to get flashing font. Not that I do flashing font, but yeah. Reach out, say hi, connect, say something. Yeah. All right. Okay, thanks, awesome. Chris. Thanks, that was amazing. Oh, was I had awesome. so much fun. Oh, wow. That was awesome. That was really cool. All right, yeah. take care, Ryan. If you enjoyed what you heard on this podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe to Chasing Squirrels. You can follow me, Chris Clough, at Chris J. Clough on Twitter. You can also find me on my blog, and that is Go Beyond Binders, and you can find that on Blogger. Please leave comments. Please connect. Please reach out. I'd love to talk to you if you want to be on my podcast. Hope you have a great evening. Take care.